0: is something Good evening. You're listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. My name is Emma and I use she and her pronouns. My name
1: is Jean and I use she and her pronouns.
2: My name is Nicolette and I use AM or they them pronouns.
1: My
3: name is Sheila and I will. Put up with any pronouns that you want to throw at me because I don't think I'm going to be talking to anybody tonight.
0: Tonight, we're going to be talking about transgender news, uh, current events that uh, touch on transgender non-binary stories. And Nicolette is going to be leading us um, with some news stories, and then we're going to be providing commentary. So Nicolette, would you like to get us started? What's going on in the news right now?
2: All right. So the first story we're going to talk about In the past week, 11 states have proposed new anti-trans legislation so far, many of the bills looking to criminalize helping trans children obtain the care they're seeking. The Republican lawmakers in Oklahoma introduced a bill this week seeking to make it a felony for anyone under the age of 26 to access gender-affirming care. Um, More than two dozen bills targeting transgender health care have been introduced in the 2023 state legislative sessions. In Texas, at least a dozen anti-LGBT plus bills have been proposed in the first week of 2023, three of which seek to label providing gender affirming care to minors a form of child abuse. So once again, transphobes are refusing to understand that gender dysphoria is torture and forcing a child to go through gender dysphoria untreated is what's really child abuse. If you force a child to go through a puberty that isn't right for them, the damage can be irreversible and some children have taken their own lives because of it. Gender affirming care is healthcare and people of all ages can need it.
1: Well, I think the most... uh Incredibly egregious and amazing, <laughs> you know, fantastical uh, approach comes out of the state of Oklahoma, where um, the the proposal there in their legislature is to, I mean, make it a felony criminal offense to provide or seek um, care prior to the age of 26, 26, I mean, this is, I mean, nobody has an age of majority for any of this kind of stuff in that that range. And I think it is illustrative of certainly the most, you know, um, far reaching, uh, most extreme um, approach of anything that we've seen yet. But I think it bodes towards um, the the coming year or years of posturing by the the Republican Party.
0: And this is uh, just another example of how this legislation mm-hmm. is going to be incredibly detrimental. To uh the transgender and non-binary community. Now, of course, we were expecting a backlash. I mean, I think we were all expecting a backlash. And it doesn't surprise me that as part of the backlash, the right is going to try to introduce something new. I mean, they wanna, they always wanna kind of put a twist on whatever they're doing to like just kind of make it more evil than it already was. Um You know, and that's because the right like doesn't really understand how to do anything except for to mimic, and uh, the only thing that they can add to it is just a little bit of hatred, Mm -hmm. and a little bit of fascism. So obviously, just like Jane was saying, um, you know, an adult uh, what when they are eighteen years of age, they are Mm -hmm. capable of making their own decision uh, regarding their health care. There is no state in the country where as Jean was saying, the age is 26. And if a state changes the age by which someone can choose to make decisions about their health, um, above the age at which a person is defined as an adult, they're basically going to upend the entire U.S. Constitution, because they're going to set a precedent that uh, will require every other state in the country to decide what age someone is able to consent to make decisions about their health care. They could say after this that uh, women who are 26 years of age or younger uh, can't take um, uh, birth control medication. Uh, They could say that people who are 26 years and younger can't drink alcohol. Uh, They could even say that people who are 26 years or younger can't vote. Uh, That's the kind of precedent this basically sets because um, in addition to this, this is so there's so much evil that's like packed into this that it's really hard to unpack it because uh, it's really tight and compact. And it's like, I mean, there there's basically a whole series of insults going on all at once. The first insult is assuming that trans kids don't know that they're transgender. when basically every medical study that's been conducted in this country proves that transgender children understand that they're transgender, And they make choices um, that are uh, choices that they're able to make within the context of what they're allowed to, you know, to exercise their gender identity. And um, so the first thing that the legislation does is it denies that because anything that's under 26 includes trans kids but then it's even more insulting because it adds the ages of 18 to 26. And this isn't the only, so Oklahoma is the most extreme, but there are actually other states that have introduced legislation to uh, say it's 21. And basically they're going on this theory. Their theory is that uh, people don't really know what they want, You know that adults don't really know what they want. And that, um, you know, they, they can't really decide like you're they're, they're, they're doing a bit, the idea that, oh, your brain isn't really fully formed until you're at least 26 years old. You can't really make a decision until you're 26. And, um, you know, this is huh, this is just so it's, it's it's extreme. It obviously is unconstitutional. Um, if it were passed, it would not survive a Supreme Court challenge. Even the Supreme Court that we have in this country, which is the most regressive, reactionary, right-wing, conservative Supreme Court that this country has seen in a hundred years, it wouldn't even pass the muster with that court. Sheila, what are your thoughts? Well,
3: here's here's the approach that I take. First of all, it's the their fears are based upon a false narrative. And a false narrative is one that says. That we are saying things that we are not saying. And the false narrative goes like this. To recognize the legitimacy of transition, really, at any age group, is to say that sex is not irrevocably assigned at birth. Problem, if sex was irrevocably assigned at birth, let alone if God himself had ordained that, then we would have to explain intersex conditions which are part of nature, including Kleinfelter syndrome, which is double x x y chromosome match okay. Or Turner syndrome, which is X0. So basically, the person has one X chromosome and no Y chromosome. It would also have to explain androgen insensitivity syndrome, where the body produces testosterone but cannot read it and therefore goes into the default mechanism and creates a phenotypical female. So this automatically implies that the binary category that they put forward is in point of fact not scientific so that takes away that aspect of it so then we say then who are transgender people they're not all intersex but the minute that we break down the initial binary then all of a sudden we have to say, well, if nature can do that at the level of pure chromosome abnormalities, what are the chances that in the complex development of a human brain, there could be some some tipping of whatever we think of, if we could prove that male and female brains are different, is it possible that in a hormonal environment uh, of, of a mother um, that the, the child is, in a sense, attached in the most intimate way possible to another sexed individual. So at least in the case of someone going from M to F, the idea that you can be bathed, bathed in an estrogenic environment and then that that's not that your tiny little testes are going to be able to produce enough testosterone that is going to overwhelm that is at least a problematic question. So when what does that tell us about the narrative? The narrative is actually has nothing to do with the clinical aspect of being transgender. The fear is that they assume that transgender community is saying. Everyone can be transgender. That gender is such a, an insignificant part of life that it doesn't matter. That is the last thing we're saying. We would never go through all the things we have to go through if gender didn't matter. And if we presume that everybody was transgender, then we'd also have to assume that other people are that either we are faking it when we say we're in profound distress, which we are not saying, we always report profound distress, or we're presuming that everybody kind of wants to be transgender but is somehow successfully repressing it. What's wrong with us that we can't do so? Now, if they go the other way and they say uh, it's 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 something that you learn. The reason that we can't have uh, any recognition in schools of transgender children is that everybody will secretly jump aboard the bandwagon. And I say, does that really meet your own experience? If you are heterosexual and non um, and you're cisgender, are, do you really, did you ever doubt? And if they say yes, then we say, well, then in point of fact, then it's clear that there really is a a, a fluff zone there and people should be given some ability to walk on either side of that line because the differentiation is not as extreme as you make it. If they go the other way and they say, no, it's very, very extreme. I say, well, then you don't need to worry about catching this disease, do you? Because it's not going to happen to you. And your own experience and your own rejection of this concept is proof that it's not going to just catch on. So that means when Drag Queen Story Hour happens, don't worry that it's going to make every kid that goes there want to sit there and dress up like a girl the next day. It's not going to happen. And the but, it's gonna, because- but what it's
0: going to do is it's going to help people who are queer and who are looking for that role model. When I was when I was six years old, I mean, I knew that I was transgender when I was five years old. When I was six years mm-hmm. old, I saw a transgender woman on television in 1976. And that changed my life because I saw someone who was transgender and I understood that that's what I was when I saw that. And that's the same thing that will happen to that kid who goes to drag queen story time and sees someone who's queer and they oh, know that young, they're queer. You're younger than I am. I had to
3: settle for Bugs Bunny in a dress. So <laughs> I remember that.
0: Yeah. Bugs Bunny was pretty hot, honestly.
3: Anyways. So the point yeah. is that they don't have a leg to stand on, but we still have to deal with their anxiety. And so what, what, why are they so incensed about this? Particularly since I don't think there's a whole lot of, I think that we're probably fairly evenly spaced through the population, but certainly it helps to be in a trans-friendly environment to not have to hide it as your deepest, darkest secret, even from your parents. So it seems to me that the reason that they are frightened is they feel that everything that they ever counted on is is falling apart and it doesn't matter whether it's on on taxation it doesn't matter if it's gender it doesn't matter the whole conservative agenda because of the rapidity of where people's incense can be fanned into flame by getting on the twitter feeds and one thing and another everybody that used to be able to say well i'm upset about this but I, i i i it's not It hasn't reached the level where I'm going to inconvenience myself by making a fuss. Nowadays, what happens because of this instant communication is people find little seed crystals of indignation. It's very common that crowd behavior often emerges spontaneously. People don't plan on having a stampede at a, for instance, a rock concert. That's never planned. What happens is that granted a sufficient proximity and a sufficient stimulus, crowd behavior does not act in a rational fashion. And what the anti-trans movement is, is slow motion stampede trying to run us over. There's free-floating anxiety all through our culture right now. And a lot of people feel that, you know, the the globalist agenda, and there's going to be uh, a wave of Chinese battleships at our at our borders tomorrow, and all of these things are part of this underlying anxiety. But unfortunately, we are a salient community. We're a recognizable, and we're in the news. And that can both help us and hurt us. It means people can, that want to empathize with us can, but people who want to hate us now know where to find us. And that's scary.
0: Let's go through a breakdown real quick of maybe a few of the states, um, especially the ones that are the most extreme. Uh, Texas has really kind of gone off the deep end. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting because Texas actually has a lot of transgender people. Texas has a lot of liberals. And it's just that, unfortunately, they're being outnumbered by these incredibly reactionary conservatives who like, are even more extreme than in other parts of the country. Um, So some of the things that Texas has slated are they want to uh, block uh, hormone treatment, puberty-blocking medication. Um, They actually want to do this for minors. They also want to block hormone treatment for adults. Um, they want to uh, ban gender-affirming treatment, including surgeries. Um, they want to make it a second-degree felony. They want to label uh, prescription puberty blockers and hormone therapy as child abuse. Um, so they have they have 10 anti-transgender bills. Um, a lot of these they filed on January 1st. So uh, can anybody hear the word political hay? you know, because that's what I see out of this. It's like, I mean, what what scares me is if this is the front end of fascism. I mean, I have to admit, honestly, that's. I was just at a, a workshop today on the Holocaust and it's like, I'm always, I, I believe that like nothing is ever going to happen in this country like what happened in Germany a hundred years ago. I mean, I just, I firmly believe this country is better than that. But I can say that this is the kind of thing that started in 1920s in Germany. I mean, they targeted an extreme, like, minority, you know, that was basically mostly not visible to the general community. And they targeted that group, and they made their hatred of that group front and center in terms of visibility. So they basically chose a group that they thought they could get everybody to hate. And, you know, the thing is that people don't, I mean they they're generating the hatred of us. I mean, they're actually creating it out of thin air. And part of what they're doing is that they're creating this myth. They're creating this myth that there's transgender people that they want to get to your children, that they want to um, mess with your children and they want to completely disrupt everything that's normal and sacred. And those are the people that are the enemies of you, they're the enemies of the state, they're the enemies of the beloved country of the beloved homeland. And they're against everything, you know, sacred and Christian and um, heterosexual. And they just want to undo all that and fill the world with something evil. I mean, that's basically their narrative. And they're just, I mean, they're using us, they're using us, they're using our transgender bodies as a, you know, an instrument of propaganda.
1: Yes, Um, they are. Yes, they are. And this has been ongoing now for a period of years. We've seen this um, playbook. This is a playbook. It's, you know, able to manifest itself in particular states, Texas, Oklahoma are not the only ones. I know there are more in the list, Emma, Um, but I would make this observation, is that um, the playbook is not limited to the states. It's not limited to the states. We've seen the playbook um, limited over the last couple of years now at the federal level, but what I would like to interject is that um, two points. Number one is we now have uh, a, a three ring circus at the federal level in the House of Representatives. Um, and uh, we can fully expect my prognostications, prognostication, that we are going to see any number of similar um, proposals um, floated in the the House of Representatives at the federal level. Different angles than Mm -hmm. from the states, but um, we're going to start seeing um, ourselves in the headline. Again, more, even at the federal level, and it's gonna be scary at the nature of some of of these things. Um, And um, the second thing, is simply that even though they know that they're not going to get this signed into law, they're going to do it anyway. They're going to do it anyway for the cultural impact, for the for the media impact, for the, um, the ability to say or represent for an individual or in group of individuals. We at least you know proposed this, right? Um, and it's going to, you know, this next couple of years is going to be really, really interesting at the federal level, as well as the state level. I know Kentucky, I believe it certainly Kentucky is next must be next on your list, Emma.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the Equality Federation. Um, it's a really good resource if people want to find out more about these bills. Um, it's equalityfederation.org, and it provides a tracker state by state. So it kind of gives you in really great detail exactly what's going on with um, with this legislation. Uh, a lot of this legislation, similar to what Texas has done uh, to women's bodies is, it's, it's kind of interesting because they're not actually targeting, they're not always specifically targeting transgender people, but they're actually tra- targeting uh, healthcare care providers. So they're basically using the law to um, make physicians um, violate their own Hippocratic oath. Uh, so physicians who are supposed to be providing care for people who need um, you know, mm. treatment for medical <laughs> services are being denied the ability to treat those services under the threat of imprisonment. So if you're a medical provider, and someone comes to you and they need a medical treatment and you have been trained as a professional to give that medical treatment to that individual. If you do it in Texas, you will go to jail. So imagine any other job in the world where you're doing your job, but if you do your job, you're going to be imprisoned. That's basically what Texas is trying to do. It's trying to punish healthcare providers and it's especially cruel that way too because healthcare providers are some of the most sensitive um you know mm-hmm. people in the world they're mostly concerned about the health and well-being of the people that they're caring for so this is um just a really you know i mean we've already seen how much damage texas has done to women and to the people who provide healthcare services to women and i think uh, this- go oh. ahead. sorry go ahead Jean. I-
1: I th- I think historically I would interject Emma that amazingly enough, um, along with Johns Hopkins, uh, you know, at um, Stanford at you know at UCLA, um, Houston, Texas, w- historically was one of the earliest um, locations where trans healthcare was actually being you know provided and 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 you know um, developed uh, in the United States um, all the way back I think into the 1960s and 70s um, it it didn't last long in that context but Houston, Texas was one of the few centers is not logical to me that that would be it. But it's true. Historically, Houston, Texas.
3: Um, no. Can I say something about the law? Yeah,
0: go ahead, Sheila. We
3: should we should uh, we should understand that that is possible to pass a law that's not enforceable. State legislatures particularly are not always uh, filled with with attorneys. Oftentimes they are, but many times they're not. And they, how they word a statute is very important, because there used to be uh, a lot of, of vagrancy laws in the 1950s, where someone found to be homeless in a town, they, they would say, well, what's the proof that they're a vagrant? Notice that's a pejorative term. How do you know if someone's a vagrant? They say, well, are they gainfully employed? Do they have property in the community? If they don't have that, then we label them a vagrant, and then we can arrest them or run them out of town or we'll do whatever we have to do. So there's, there's precedence for, for passing laws like that. And the way they were struck down was they, a thing called the Void for Vagueness Doctrine, which said that the, the categories, the the evidence that you would have to bring forward to convict someone were either so indefinite that they could not be applied uniformly and therefore you were bound to have discriminatory and arbitrary enforcement and so because of that the law was held to be completely void and non-enforceable but that means litigation and litigation is expensive and so what happens is that if they if they choose to pass laws that have massive overreach they only increase the odds of it being ruled as non, not something that they can can actually enforce. But meanwhile, we're very inconvenienced in the process. But therefore, we, we have to ask ourselves, well, why are they doing this? Why are they using the law, which is not the proper arena to solve a social problem? Why are they doing this? Once again, it's that sense of panic and it's based upon a misunderstanding of what law can do and what it cannot do. And not to convince somebody by natural argument. For instance, here's, here's something you just brought up. If the standard of care for a transgender individual, according to the American Psychiatric Association and or the pediatric uh, uh, standards for pediatricians, um, say that you should act in a certain way, such as prescribing hormone blockers, and you don't do it, now you are guilty of malpractice, which is a civil matter. Now, what if the doctor says, well, I can't help it because I, I was mandated by, by the criminal law to, to, to follow this rule. So now you've got the law moving in two entirely different directions. <clears throat> the only answer would be, I can't see transgender patients and so the long the long and short of it is whenever you're dealing with discrimination the ultimate desire is to have the problem disappear and if the problem continues to raise itself such as us constantly complaining about how we're treated the only other answer is to get rid of us. And the way that they do that is to make our lives so uncomfortable or so costly that we can't do it. We can't live in Oklahoma, for instance, if that was to be the state that passed a yeah. rule.
0: Yeah, Jean, yeah. you were, you were asking about Kentucky and I was just flipping through some of the legislation in Kentucky. It's, it's actually not as bad as Oklahoma, but it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I think one of the most egregious examples of Bills that I found that were submitted in Kentucky was a bill that, um, well, I mean, first of all, it denies uh, children under the age of 18 the opportunity to seek any kind of medical treatment, uh, including uh, any procedure. Um, it doesn't say what exactly the procedure is, but um, it says healthcare services. Um, in my book, healthcare services includes counseling. Um, It includes any kind of affirmative gender care that's not specifically hormonal, uh, but it does also include any kind of hormonal care, um, such as puberty blockers. So basically, we're condemning transgender kids who know that they're transgender and who would like to transition before their body starts turning out the wrong way. Um, to be condemned to live an entire lifetime in a body that's developed um, secondary sexual characteristics that are completely against their, um, you know, what their gender identity is. And um, that can lead to uh, suicide. It can lead to uh, self-abuse, self-harm. And it's more punitive than just that. It also allows um, it, it, it allows anyone who pro- tr- attempts to provide such services, mm-hmm. uh, it gives the parent or guardian of that person 30 years to file a tort claim against someone who's provided any kind of health care services, including a referral for a gender transition, uh, public funds used for any kind of gender counseling, um, basically anything that would encourage transgender kids to actually seek appropriate medical care is something that the state of Kentucky is allowing the parents of that child, even if that child knows that they're transgender, even if they choose to seek the supportive healthcare care professionals uh, to do the things that they're legally allowed to do as a child until they reach the age of 18, it allows the parent of that person, even when they're 48 years old, to sue a medical provider who did something 30 years ago to help support that trans kid. Now, if that isn't crazy, tell me what's crazy.
1: Well, Well, no, it's not crazy. What it is, is ingenious. This is a chess game. It's a chess. It's a legal chess game. Think this through. What does all that mean? It means that you're liable to litigation. Litigation's not cheap. Litigation is expensive litigation potentials will substantially increase the insurance obligations of professionals, uh, threaten anybody who, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's an absolute threat. Simply by pushing a button of going to somebody and filing a lawsuit can potentially mm-hmm. exhaust your entire you know um, financial capability in defending it. And when it's done, it's not over. It's you know it can be appealed and it can go on and on and on. Same thing with some of these criminal things that are that we've been talking about being proposed in and even implemented in some states. And 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 the whole end game of this chess game of of not only exhausting um, the capabilities of an already subjugated, you know, subculture, which is us, um, you know, financially, you know, energetically, everything um, is to eventually Mm -hmm. progress many of these cases, which would only be appealed from either side going up to guess what? Guess what? A Supreme Court, which so many of us were screaming about Years ago, with the presidential election, I, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, I have to call this out. I have to call this out. Um, that now is the ultra conservative agenda is to get every single case that they can from the most obscure, um, you know, beginning for the Supreme Court to get all sorts of incredibly ridiculous interpretations um, established in legal precedent. I'm sorry for that rant and, you know, and everything, but this was yet another. <laughs> <clears throat> Why in the world, you know, could, could not people see what was coming? <clears throat> this is the circumstance and this generation, you uh, generations, plural, are going to live under the impacts of this for a long time.
3: The question question is, how, how, how do our own behaviors make it easier for them to make us disappear? And I have some definite thoughts on that. Because what happens is, when you belong to a despised minority, your only real chance is to make a lot of friends. And you do that by not, by realizing that there are more institutions in this country than only legal institutions. There's also marketing considerations. If a big corporation stands up for our rights, they have more power than any individual could have. If it's perceived as being simply bad manners or cruel or vicious, what they are doing, then automatically we have people to help us and sometimes our own ability to presume that we're more welcome than we are leads us to want to be extremely generous it's like spending money you don't have if you had enough money it would be lovely to rent the uh, uh, some major trade center and say you know what i'm going to have a big party today and we're going to invite absolutely everybody to come and it's just going to be so fantastic and until somebody presents you with the price tag. And so what I think is that we have to be very cunning as a community. We have to realize our actual position. We have to realize where we need to make friends. We need to hardwire into professional standards that there's a standard of care you have to meet when you're dealing with transgender people and therefore transgender people have to be diagnosable if everybody and anybody can can be as free as they want to be on gender topics the danger is that it will no longer be a diagnosable condition. And if it's not diagnosable, then the medical people can't be there at our backs. And they have a lot of power just by virtue of their expertise. And so what we have to realize is despite our desire to be generous, we have to realize that we are at threat. And we should never underestimate that when when they are putting these things forward, they're saying, we're really trying to be friends with transgender people. We're trying to prevent you from mutilating yourself. We're trying to prevent uh, parents from mutilating their children and being guilty of child abuse. And we're trying to save non-transgender kids by for, from being unnecessarily confused about their own gender. So we're actually massively benevolent. We're trying to save you from yourself. And that is the... That is the veneer that they put forward, but then the law itself is malicious on its face. It's clearly designed to make transgender people disappear or move away. And that is exactly how the Nazis began. They didn't start with concentration camps. They started with the Nuremberg laws that said all the things you could not do if you were Jewish. You couldn't, you couldn't run this type of business. You couldn't be a professional. You couldn't be a doctor. They took care of all the things that were more, uh, any place where where Jewish people were succeeding, they said we've got to dry this up. They're taking a job from a good German, and this is what this is what we're up against. That we should never have any illusions about that. We should be aware that this is how far they want to go with this thing. It wouldn't have been already. These laws would. Everyone would be embarrassed to bring forth laws like this if they weren't serious. So they are serious. And we have to be serious, and we have to say, we have to make friends where we can, and we have to be very careful about our own behavior and our own wish list. Uh, For instance, I'm in favor of Drag Queen Story Hour, but that is just an invitation for them to say, you're trying to indoctrinate our kids, forgetting that the library is sponsoring it, and it's completely with the consent of the parents and they completely wash that away. They don't have problems that, that everybody that goes to sit on Santa's lap is going to want to come home and say, Mom, I was going to be an engineer, but now I want to be Santa Claus. I want to, ro- I want to grow a big white beard. They don't understand that you can have entertainment without necessarily implying gender variability. But if there is gender variability, is that really the worst thing in the world? The, the thought is that that itself is threatening to psychosocial health Say, so, well, is is it better to have your little boy running around with a gun and planning on 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 a, a killing people? I mean, is that we just had an instance the other day where a six year old kid shot his own teacher, and the word is that this was done deliberately. Is that a healthier thing than going to drag queen story hour? I don't think so. So, <laughs>
0: hey Sheila, I'd, I'd like anyway. to I'd, I'd like to get into some of the details of this Oklahoma bill because I'm. I'm just, I'm looking up again on, on Bill Tracker for, it's it's a great resource if you um, wanna learn more about these. Um, it's Bill Tracker, it's with the Equality Foundation. And this, this bill in Oklahoma is just really crazy. I mean, it's totally a Nazi bill. I just don't know what else to say about it. It's a complete Nazi bill. So the first thing about the bill is that it says that any physician uh, or healthcare professional, so we're not just talking about um, we're not just talking about medical doctors. We're also talking about any healthcare professional. We could be talking about a nurse. We could be talking about a nurse's aide. We could be talking about um, a counselor. Uh, we could ta- be talking about an MSW social worker, um, because uh, you know, or we could even, you know, I mean, and also we could be talking about yes, uh, there, yeah. So it, basically, any any person who provides any kind of medical care in any sense. Uh, for someone who has not reached 21 years of age in the state of Oklahoma. 26? Shall be sub- no. Is it not 26? Uh, well, there's several bills. This is the one I'm oh, okay, looking at okay, right now okay. is 21. Okay. I think 26 is actually a different state. I'm not sure. But okay. um, in Oklahoma, anyone who is, uh, uh provides medical services to someone who's younger than 21 years old, so anyone between the ages of 18 and 21, shall be subject to a $100,000 fine um, and or 10 years imprisonment for providing services. And let me list you some of the services that you could go to prison for 10 years for doing. Hair reconstruction, uh, you could go to prison for providing liposuction (laughs) for providing um, any kind of voice surgery. Uh, you could go to prison for providing facial feminization surgery. You could go to prison for 10 years for providing lipo filling. So these are common medical procedures that many women have already. I mean, including women, including younger women. These are These are medical procedures that women already have routinely. And apparently now in Oklahoma, if this bill passes, then you could go to prison for Ten years and be fined hundred thousand dollars for doing this for a transgender person.
3: Well, the good news is it's so overbroad and it's so it's so lacking any. There's also such a thing as does does the state have an interest, a compelling state interest to regulate? Let's say that the, that the the state passed a law that said if you don't wear your underwear on your head, you're going to be guilty of a felony. And you would say, well, is there any compelling or even rational basis test? The very lowest thing, is there any is there any rational basis to say you should wear your underwear on your head? And they'd say, um, to, of course, there are some Republicans who might
0: already be doing that. Hey, Sheila, I want to make sure we get to uh, Nicola did a lot of research, and Nic- Nicola, why don't we get to your other two stories just so we make sure we get those covered? Yeah,
2: there's That's at fine. least one. There's at least one other one I really want to talk about. Um, So on January 3rd, Missouri inmate Amber McLaughlin became the first openly transgender woman to be executed in the U.S. McLaughlin, who was 49, was convicted of stalking and killing a former girlfriend. McLaughlin stated before she died that she was sorry for what she did and that she was a loving and caring person. McLaughlin's clemency petition cited that she had serious mental health issues stemming from childhood trauma, and there was mention of her diagnosis of gender dysphoria, but it was not the main focus of the clemency request. Um, I would like to discuss potential implications and outcomes of this. One of the concerns I have is there have been many cases of similar crimes where the prisoner was sentenced to a certain amount of time in prison or even life in prison, but not death, especially when they express remorse like McLaughlin did. And I'm just wondering why this trans woman was executed for something that many cis men and women aren't. And I'm not defending McLaughlin's crime because what she did was awful, but I'm just wondering if the punishment for such crimes in our legal system isn't equal. And then another concern I have is that transphobes may use... McLaughlin's transness and diagnosis of gender dysphoria combined with other mental health issues as fuel to claim that trans people are dangerous and that being trans is a mental illness. And then I think it's also important to talk about how McLaughlin had childhood trauma from being abused by her foster parents. And it's sadly very common for trans people to be abused, especially early in life. So do you, any of you have thoughts on this? I do. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. I'm always in dread. I'm always in dread of, of an extreme case because it it plays into two faulty narratives. The first one is that that being treated for being transgender is a luxury, and so the the narrative that's brought forward, whether you're in in the service or, or is that, well, I'm not going to pay for their their confused sexual reassignment. They they can just sit there. Part of their punishment is they should just suffer with their gender dysphoria. So that, that applies to the entire prison population of transgender inmates. The second one is to say, see, transgender people are just as dangerous as we said they are, because now we have an example of someone who actually committed a crime, even though it was very, very much in their younger life and prior to any gender reassignment. So the danger is that immediately whatever happens to one of us is is attributed to all of us. And that always makes me scared. On the other hand, being transgender is not something that we should use to say we have to be treated so differently that we should not be punished for our crimes. But I am against the death penalty And I don't believe that the person that someone might be 20 years after uh, doing something bad is necessarily the same person who did the crime. And because it takes so long to work through all the hurdles with the death penalty right now, I think that has brought forward that it is true that people are not the same person. And somebody that has been completely rehabilitated and is is somebody who should not be put to death. And that's my best argument why the death penalty is faulty. It presumes that people can be frozen in a moment of time. If everybody was asked, what is the single stupidest or evil decision you've ever made in your life? And say, well, guess what? You can never get away from that. That's with you forever. Then nobody, nobody could pass that test.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like that is something to note is that I I understand there are are criminals who are put to death who up until the time they die, feel no remorse for what they did. McLaughlin did say that she was sorry for what she did. And I think that's, you know, proof that people can be rehabilitated. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm defending McLaughlin because her crime was inexcusable. It's just I do think that the fact that she feels remorse for it should be taken into account. And I also agree with what you're saying that, you know, there's going to be a lot of transphobes who are all like, oh, trans people are dangerous because look at what this one trans person did. Look at this crime this one trans person committed, even though there are lots and lots of cases of cis people stalking and killing their ex-partners. This isn't something unique to trans people in any way.
3: So in fact, my- I would go so far as to defend our people. I'm surprised since, they, since the opposition would obviously like to dig up any possible case where we are the malefactor rather than the victim, the mere fact that there aren't very many reports proves that we are so much more often the victims of crime than the instigators of crime that I think as a community, our statistics should be fantastic in that area with the single exception of sex work and possibly property crimes because a lot of us are very poor.
1: Amen, amen, yes, yay, sister.
0: Thank you. Um, So I'd like to say, I mean, I don't think that under any circumstances, execution is um, an appropriate punishment. Um, There's always the possibility that when we perform an execution, we're executing an innocent person. Uh, There are many examples uh, of this in American history. So she transitioned when she was, uh, three years before her execution date, she transitioned when she was 46, um, Mm -hmm. after the crime had been committed and after she'd been sitting on death row for um, at least 10 years. Uh, We've done several shows with people who are incarcerated, um, who are trying to deal with the legal challenges uh, around transition within uh, federal facilities. And um, I mean, for me, this is an issue about this person's rights um, while she's in a federal facility or a state facility to seek appropriate gender-related care. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with her crime. Her crime is something that she has already been punished for, mm-hmm. she's been murdered by the state. And so now there's nothing we can do about that. But um, so my concern is that she get the appropriate medical care Uh, which apparently she did get. Uh, Your concern, Nicolette, is that she was um, a victim of bias, which is entirely possible. Um, The uh, performance of uh, execution is a completely arbitrary act on the part of states. We know that people of color are much more likely to be executed than white people. And um, transgender people... Uh, Although there are very, I don't know of any other transgender people on death row right now, but transgender people we know are much more likely to also be victims of the criminal justice system. And so uh, I'm sure that that played a role in choosing to execute her rather than choosing to let her have life without the possibility of parole. The
3: thing that was interesting in in this case is that the jury deadlocked on the death penalty decision and it was the judge who according to that state's particular law could if it was an absolute split could be the deciding vote and kicked it over so that proves that even at the at the stage where the decision had been made it was a highly controversial choice but that nobody would dare to stand up for her and be able to say we need to make an exception here. We need to grant clemency I mean if this was ever a case where clemency was indicated, it was here, and that's not just because we're being loyal to our own people. It's just that no matter what if if what regardless of cisgender or male or female it was not a it was a Of course, to me, it's it's simply barbaric. I simply feel absolutely poisoned when I think that in in my collective name of the state that I am implicated by the mere fact that I know someone's going to die and someone's going to kill them, and I can't do anything about it. I think that is just a horrible position to put the general population in. We are all implicated when something like that happens.
0: So we've only got five minutes left in the show. Um, I'm just wondering, Nicolette, if you'd like to maybe read us the last story, just so we have a chance to hear about it. Uh, If we have time, we'll comment. And if not, maybe we'll just kind of close out the show. But could you share the last story that you heard?
2: So final story I want to talk about. Um, Also from last week, a federal judge ruled to uphold a West Virginia law banning trans girls from competing on girls' sports teams. And I know we've talked about this issue to death on this show, but once again, transphobes prove that their only real agenda is to prevent trans people from being safe because this judge claimed in his reasoning that allowing AMAB people to compete with AFAB people was violating the safe spaces of women. But what about the safe spaces for trans women? It has been shown time and time again that trans women are not safe in spaces for men. And it seems clear that transphobes like this judge don't want trans women to be safe anywhere. So do we have any thoughts on that?
3: I have one really big one on that. And that is that what happens is they never see it from the other side. Say, suppose you got your wish and let us say that everyone who is trans was going to go to the assigned bathroom at birth, because that's simply how it should be put, assigned bathroom at birth. When you got spanked on the behind, automatically you knew which bathroom you'd be in for the rest of your life, no matter what happened to you. Then all of the the people who have developed facial hair after going through transition from F to M would suddenly have to go in the ladies' room and some of our very, very lovely, and we do have them, male to female trans people, would have to suddenly be going into a boy's room where they could easily be attacked by uh, a male that finds them attractive. And the worst part is the sheer, if your desire is to preserve some sort of social binary that is arbitrary to begin with, that then this getting their wish would be the worst thing that could happen. Now there would be public disturbances and there are people who are in the middle who are not immediately identifiable as male or female on a constant basis. To ask them to constantly enter into some calculus, particularly under threat of not just social opprobrium, but actually committing a criminal offense would put them under such stress that you might as well say, you can't go anywhere. And that, again, brings back my whole thought that the ultimate desire is to make people that don't fit in disappear.
0: So I've got I've got a quick answer to that, Nicolette, and maybe we'll do a show about this because um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, there's a really great news feed I'd encourage you to check out if you want to kind of find out what's going on in the news. It's called Transgender Feed and it's on facebook it's on twitter it's on instagram and it's also on google news and uh, apparently the uh, world boxing association the world boxing council has yes. created a new category yes within their um w- within their infrastructure and it's called transgender and this is a space for transgender people to specifically compete against other transgender people it's i mean it's not I don't think they're exactly doing this for the best of reasons, but at least it's an effort to do something like the best thing would be just to allow everybody to compete according to what their gender is. Um, But, you know, in boxing, what they're saying is transgender people will compete against other transgender people. And maybe this is the beginning of like also creating other categories within sports to make sports more equitable. Boxing has always had weight categories. Yeah. And there are any number of
1: different sports that have categories. Thank you. Um, and, you know, that you know it's not a neurological approach. Mm-hmm. And given this current set of circumstances in terms of support and dissent, it's not a that approach actually i suppose the question becomes how many different transgender folks do they have to compete
3: i have a little problem with it because i don't like the idea that the only time that you can you can compete is when transgender people are beating each other up yeah that's a great
0: point thanks well on that note we're gonna have to close out the show for tonight because we're out of time this has been a great show tonight. I just want to thank everyone for being here. And I'd like everybody to go around one more time and just, uh, you know, say good night. And if you have anything else you'd like to say, this is your chance to do it. I'm Emma. I use she and her pronouns. And I'm so glad. Thanks for joining us on Transpositive. Jean Bryant, happy
1: 2023. Goodness knows, I hope it's better than 22. Uh,
2: yeah, this is Nicolette. This has been a great show tonight. And I want to thank everyone here for this conversation. Have a good night.
3: Hi, I'm Sheila, and I think the thing that I'd like to leave everybody with tonight is the idea that the the trans wars are only a subset of the culture wars that are raging all across America, and we are involved because it affects our very existence, but we should also be aware that we don't need to feel completely alone because the number of categories that people are willing to go to the barricades for have become so extensive at this point that we really are a country that really needs some healing. And I don't know quite how to make that happen, but that would make an excellent topic, too. I think that we're good people and that we contribute a lot. And when people bond with us and see us, it makes it much more difficult to hate us or ask that we simply disappear.
0: Great. Thank you. Have a good night
3: i